What's good, everybody? We are back. Episode 7, Better Than Ever. Let's see, episode 7 for the Michael Vick episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We have week 1 and 2 from the NFL to react to. Baseball is approaching October, which means October baseball. Time for some playoff talk. And we're also going to get into some of the conversation around the Fair Play Act in California. And the conversation that always seems to ruffle some feathers, paying college athletes. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Let's get started. So most importantly with this episode, this is the first time I have a guest. I got my boy Adam with me. He's ready to react to, um, he's really only here so he can talk about the Browns, but we got him, this, I'm so excited to have my first guest, and we're going to start with week one. I really feel like overall week one was what we expected, it was week one football. A lot of teams looking sloppy, a lot of teams looking like they just stumbled out of training camp. Um, unfortunately, we did already see some pretty impactful players go down with injuries, Two with the same injury, you had Nick Foles and Tyreek Hill breaking their collarbone and they're out for their respective teams. So Foles really throwing a wrench, I think, into the Jaguars' plans. However, it has birthed us the absolute content fountain that is freaking Gardner Minshew. He <laughs> looks like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. So Foles going down, we have Minshew filling in for him, and then Tyreek Hill... Um, Changes things for Patrick Mahomes. You would think, however, I've just decided that Patrick Mahomes, he could probably throw to me and be successful. Um, so even though one of the Chiefs' biggest weapons goes down, looks like he'll be out for about six weeks or so. Same with Foles, both with broken collarbones. So um, both of their teams trying to adjust to that after week one. But overall, I think we can get into week two, really. That's where everything is starting to pick up. Teams are starting to... Starting to is important there. True, definitely not there yet, but starting to come into form. Um, both weeks one and two, I think my biggest takeaways were Lamar Jackson. Honestly, um, he just he just came out like a house on fire. Had the most rushing yards by someone who threw for two hundred fifty plus. I think he ran for one hundred twenty, threw for two seventy five. You heard him say it's not bad for a running back. So shutting up all the haters and the critics that were saying all he can do is run. Um, dude is legit, man. Harbaugh has him a nice piece to work with. The Ravens are kind of flying under the radar because the Browns have taken all of the hype from the division. Um, but the Ravens are really a force to be reckoned with. Um, and that's coming from a Cleveland fan. I absolutely hate the Ravens, and I hope that they do have a terrible season, but they probably won't. Lamar Jackson is a real deal. The Browns did drop the ball week one to Tennessee. We're really not going to talk about that. We're going to talk more about the dub that we just got in uh, New York on Monday Night Football. Um, I think everyone at this point has also seen um, New England just come out and just absolutely annihilate their opponent in both week one and two. Um, but overall, week one, just really not a lot to react to. Everyone kind of did as, as expected. Brown's got a wake-up call. Unfortunately, a couple injuries that were just bound to happen. Unfortunately, it's just to some major players. But with that being said, let's get into week two. So let's jump into week two here. This is where we will introduce Adam, my man. Yes, sir. So looking at, we're going to start with Gardner Minshew. 
aka Uncle Rico. Dude came in with the only like two buttons button, the hair flowing out like it was um what's that what's that festival called? Wood Woodstock or whatever. Woodstock, yes, <laughs> music festival. <laughs> yeah. Comes in, he honestly leads he did everything he could. He led the Jags to a potentially game winning drive against the Texans. They did end up falling short on their two point conversion. So the Texans squeeze away with honestly a much needed win, um, especially up against the Jags, who uh, seem to just be breaking at the seams. Lose their starting quarterback in Nick Foles. It's now came out that uh, Jalen Ramsey wants to be traded, which is kind of wild. It doesn't actually look like they have too much of a sense of urgency to actually even make that happen. I honestly think when you think about Jalen Ramsey, you can make an argument that outside of the quarterback – I feel like a lockdown corner is just he's probably like second in line as like when you talk about the most impactful position in a a position that you can build a team around, I think a corner is right behind a quarterback. Absolutely, you definitely need uh the the corners to be to be shut down. That and the the defensive line of course. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting with uh Jalen Ramsey requesting this because we've we've seen now you know with the Zeke situation and and Melvin Gordon we we have a lot of NFL players coming out and kind of acting like the NBA almost and trying to, yeah. to demand their their own trades and their own destiny to go to where they want to be and where they're going to be most happy so I, I think it's going to be interesting going forward and I I think someone's going to gobble up Jalen Ramsey very, very quickly. In a heartbeat. Because um, he is arguably probably the top corner um, outside a few others. For real. It's funny you said that about uh, the NBA. I was just, when I first saw Jalen Ramsey come out, I was like, okay, there's definitely a shift in narrative right now and a shift in just like the trend. The NBA, who I think NFL players for a long time have been really envious of for a variety of reasons, whether it was just the guaranteed money that comes with their contracts or the fact that they control their own destiny, the NFL is definitely shifting more towards that, and I think Jalen Ramsey is a perfect a perfect example of that. So, um, interesting interesting stuff happening in Jacksonville, and even you saw it down in uh, Miami. Obviously, they have their own issues aside yes. from uh, Jacksonville, but Minka going to uh, the the Steelers is yep. is huge. Yep, Miami's an there's I don't think so. In all of the three major sports, I don't think I have seen a team like blatantly tank as heavy. It's clear. That's Miami. It's absolutely clear they are going for Tua or that boy out of Oregon. For real. Or not even Oregon, Justin Herbert, but uh, yep. Trevor Lawrence. Yep. He's, he's a big stud, too. Yep. Now, he can't come out. He's uh, he's only a sophomore, right? So he's got. You're right. He does have, does one, he have more one more year. year? Okay. Um, so maybe tanking for two of Tanking for two is definitely a thing. And I've just never seen it more blatant. Like, we've seen teams tank. And the thing is, at the end of the day, tanking works. It works. Like, it really does. Like, that's a good... Like, if you're going to be bad, absolutely suck. Don't yeah. be... In the end, don't be uh, eight and eight. Like, don't... You know, you're, if you're going to be bad, be bad. Don't be middle of the road. And Miami is just that's that's crazy. They were saying that players, a couple of the players reportedly like were texting their agents after week one, asking them to get them out of there at halftime, um, which is just unheard of. Which which I don't blame them because they're they're all competitors and the Dolphins are clearly trading away their their biggest players, Laramie Tunsil, Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah. 
I mean, it's clear that they don't want to win this year, and as a competitor, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to stay there either. I feel you. And Minka Fitzpatrick is someone that they just drafted first round last season, and they trade away, trade him away to Pittsburgh, who we can actually get to in a second because I actually think Pittsburgh picking up Minka Fitzpatrick shows that they are actually really not throwing in the towel. You think they will, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, but with Fitzpatrick. Um, the the Dolphins GM coming out and saying we are absolutely not tanking, bro. Just don't even say anything. Like you're so clearly tanking. You just traded away your first round pick. Just either say no comment or just, we have a plan. Anything, but we're not tanking because that's just a blatant lie. So crazy stuff down in Florida as always. Let's move on. All right. So speaking of Uncle Rico, the other backup quarterback that had to come in and shine was Luke Falk. The Browns and the Jets got after it on Monday Night Football. The Browns coming off just a super, super disappointing loss in week one. I think in a lot of ways it was kind of a wake-up call. I think it was a humbling experience that the Browns kind of needed in some ways. I mean, Tennessee just beat them in every way, shape, and form. The Browns obviously... I, I'm sure the producers of Hard Knocks wish that they could go back, hindsight is twenty twenty and just do either the Browns two years in a row oh. or flip it because the Browns were the talk of this entire offseason, bringing in OBJ to an already interesting dynamic there. Freddie Kitchens taking the helm. So the Browns came in with a lot of hype, and you you saw Tennessee just come out like I mean, they were just a better team, had more veteran presence. They just seemed more grounded. Mike Vrabel... He's honestly got that defense looking legit. Um, and you saw the Tennessee Titans give us the old, they are who we thought they were, channeling that coach from the Cardinals whose name I can't remember right now. But, um, yeah, the Browns took a took a terrible week one loss, but they did actually bounce back in some ways in week two. However, they went up against a very hobbled Jets team. They're... The New York Jets have a lot of lot riding on Sam Darnold. Um, they're potentially quarterback of the future. Everything points to him having a lot of potential and a lot of upside, but dude is down with mono, which is the most New York Jets thing ever. Dude gets sidelined with mononucleosis, which is the old kissing disease. So he goes down, and then their second-string quarterback, Trevor Simeon, goes down, and then... Um, what what was his name? Luke Luke, Luke Falk um, had to come in uh, for the for the relief after you know Miles Garrett took took Simeon down pretty hard because Miles Garrett was simply just Too beating strong. his man every single time <laughs> and and it's really crazy because I don't think he's really even tapped into techniques and anything of those that matter you know he's he's working on basic just strength agility. Just quickness, hand speed—that's that's all he's going off off of. And you know, he—I think he had three quarterback hits that night, three sacks. Um, excuse me, five quarterback hits, three sacks, um, which is just impressive from from a second second year guy. For real. Um, so it's crazy too, because I was listening to them. I was listening to ESPN's Booger McFarland start to talk a little bit about Miles Garrett and. Even the DL, the defensive line coach for the Browns was saying that he has tapped into 5% of, of his true potential because he, he right now is winning off of just eye 
like dude was in the body issue dudes he's just chiseled and he is winning right now off of the fact that he's just stronger and bigger than you are and he's just showing you like I've been in the weight room a little bit more than you have and that's why I'm succeeding the way I am because he has no moves he has no moves at all and he is just he's winning off of sheer strength at this point um he's a man amongst boys a lot of times and um I mean I can't, and also speaking of Simeon, I can't believe he even got up. When I first saw that hip, I thought he was done. I really did. I thought he was down. His ankle just didn't look, it was not supposed to move that way. <laughs> um, and so, yes, yeah, so that that brings in Falk. Yeah, Luke Luke Falk um, coming out of Washington State, I believe, which I think Gardner Minshew as well is, is out of Washington State. Um, he honestly didn't. He didn't look terrible. I mean, I know it's not ideal for him to be in there. Of course, they would love to have Darnold, um, but honestly, he he made his completions. A lot of them behind the line of scrimmage. You know, kind of just dunking it off to Le'Veon and and letting him do what he does best. Um, but you know, for a third string guy, um, he he didn't look terrible against against our defense. And a third string guy too. He Adam Gates was saying before the game that actually. Of all of the quarterbacks on the roster, Darnold, uh, Simeon, and Minshew, or I'm sorry, and Falk, uh, Falk is actually the one that knows the offense the best. He's actually been there. He has the longest tenure in New York. Um, so he definitely came in with already some familiarity with the offense, came in and kind of, he kept the Jets. The score really doesn't indicate how close in a lot of ways that game was. The Browns, um, let's get to the Browns. The Browns really, we got the win. The Browns got the win. I shouldn't say we, but um, there is just so much room for improvement. We uh, saw saw OBJ kind of break free, get a big touchdown, his first in a Browns uniform, and just some big plays that were nice to see. It's it was good to see the Browns just get on the right side of a of a game. But there is so much to clean up if you're the Cleveland Browns. So um, interested to to talk about that a little bit coming up. Yeah. So yeah, the Browns have so much to clean up. They, um, at the end of the day, we're going up against a third-string quarterback, and you know, one and a win is a win. And if you're the Browns, you are taking a win any way you can get it, especially in a division that I really do think I don't see the division being one as that any team breaks away in any sense. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to come down to the last few weeks. So if you're the Browns, you take this win any way you can. Freddie Kitchens needs that first win as a head coach. But with that being said, man, they had a lot, a lot that they that they need to clean up. Yeah, they they definitely, you know, obviously had a, a better better week than the first week going up against Tennessee. Um they, you know, kind of fed Chubb in the beginning and, and got the run game going, which we didn't see at all. Um, in that week one, you know, we were just taking a lot of deep shots and we, we saw Baker, you know, kind of forcing a lot of throws and, mm-hmm. and, and getting to him. I, I really, I really, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about him cause it, you know, it is early in the season. Um, and he was, you know, pretty, pretty spectacular for us last year. But you don't worry about like a sophomore slump at all? I mean, I, Lamar Jackson doesn't seem to have a, a sophomore slump. That's true. Really, but but you know that they're completely different players. But I think it does come down to Kitchens. Um, last year, you know, um, I think he's 
feeling a, a lot of pressure, you mm-hmm. know, coming from last year into this year now that he's the head coach, you know, he kind of got thrown into a role last year and, and, you know, actually just performed for us and, and called the right plays. And I think we need to get back to that, you know, have, have Baker roll out a little bit more and get him out of the pocket and, uh, you know, just establish that run game because you really need that for, for all of our weapons to succeed because we have so many different players we need to get the, the ball to. Um, but, yeah, K- Kitchens, you know, he even said that it, it's on him to, to get Baker out and get him, um, you know, set him up for success. Well, I think Kitchens, too, you think about a lot of times, you know, you look at a backup quarterback, they come in, uh, they come in to fill in for the starter in the game, and in game situations, the other team doesn't have a chance to adjust and adapt to what this backup quarterback brings. I think it's the same thing when you think about a head coach and an interim head coach. Kitchens comes in, the league is not familiar with him. Um, he's able to bring some things to the table that there's just not enough tape on. And this year, and I think this is the case with Baker a little bit too, the league didn't have tape on him. They have tape on him now. The league has adjusted in some ways. Not you know, it's it's minor, but enough that you can say teams are adjusting to you. Now it's time for Baker and Kitchens to adjust back. And I think that's a piece where that's where I worry about Baker taking the sophomore slump. Is he had he really did at the end of the day just have a great rookie season, but now it's it is time for him to take that next step. And he. Uh, in a lot of ways, too, he looks, he just looks so unsettled, and that's what, I think that's what stood out to me the most. A lot of happy feet, a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of the home run plays, You're looking a lot to hit the home run ball, I didn't see a lot of check downs out of Baker, so I just want to see, I just want to see him settle in, get comfortable in the offense, trust, trust uh, Chubb, who had, I really think that Chubb in a lot of ways actually kind of flies under the radar, he's a hell of a player with a a big time playmaking ability. He's a dual threat out of the back. Um, I mean, it, Baker. He, listen, he has Jarvis Landry and OBJ out wide. I see why you're going home run, but that's just that's not winning football on a consistent basis. And you saw that weeks one and two. Yeah, you gotta you gotta feed the workhorse in Chubb. I mean, he he was a stud last year, and and I think for for us to succeed, especially in the passing game, it's it starts on the ground and. We got to, you know, fulfill the line. But it, it was nice to see the, the offensive line did, uh, you know, get to settle in that second half and, and just kind of bully the, the defensive line of the Jets. And, and that was nice to see. And I, I think that boosted their confidence because, I mean, they got completely manhandled against the Titans. And, no doubt. And that was that was nice to see. Um, but those, those boys on that, that front line on the, uh, on the defense, I mean, Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon were just creating <laughs> havoc in the backfield. Um, I was really surprised, or, or not surprised for Le'Veon, because I mean he he did get a lot of touches due to the fact that Falk had to come in, and uh, you know they relied heavy on him, so so he got his his yardage. Um, but for the uh, poor Simeon, I I feel bad for the man. I do too. Um, who who's actually a solid quarterback? People forget he he was solid um, for the Broncos, and and was actually you know leading a, a winning football team at one point. So. Uh, you know, kudos to him, and and hope hope the best for his recovery. Um, but uh, but another little clip to to take from week one and week two. Shout out to our guy on special teams, my man Jamie Gillian. <laughs> Let's go. Was named AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Um, I, I think actually during the game, um, they kicked it. He you know he was just punting away, and Barrios from the Jets. 
actually was the first one to actually attempt to return one of his punts this season. Yeah, he so, has a boot. So, you know, kudos to him for, for just putting them deep in territory and, and, and making it lofty. And dude didn't actually even play football in high school. He Really? Yeah, he was... Uh, he basically was one of those guys that did everything except for football. He was a wrestler. He played. Um, what was the other thing that they were saying that he played? He, uh, all he yeah, dude is, he is an enigma. Um, he and he has somehow stumbled his way onto an NFL roster. So, that's crazy. Sticking with football news, by now, you've seen Antonio Brown. Picked up by the Patriots, and I think right when. Uh, Right when he got released by Oakland, you just knew Belichick was just waiting in the weeds, ready to pick him up. He has done this before, though. He has taken a risk on uh, diva wide receivers in the past. Some of them have worked out. Some of them have not. The undefeated regular season with Randy Moss that obviously played well into the Patriots' favor. That was a good gamble. Um... But we've also seen him pick up people like Chad Ochocinco. That did not work at all. Ochocinco just could not grasp the playbook. Really couldn't fit in the environment. Uh, the New England environment isn't for everybody. But uh, AB is now a Patriot. I think that there's probably an over-under in Vegas somewhere on like how many games he will make it in New England. Um, I don't know if he'll make a full season or not. But I'm sure anyone that's following the sports world has seen... Antonio Brown be um, accused of some sexual um, assault allegations against his former trainer. Um, the former trainer releasing some statements that, I mean, I cannot read the details of what she said occurred, but just some really just foul things, stuff that's totally inappropriate. And if he is guilty, because again, they are accusations, um, there's no proof yet one way or the other. There's some things that don't look good. That might indict Antonio Brown, but as of now, we will just speak on it as if it is exactly what it is. They're accusations with um, no no, no uh, proven background at this point. But um, with that being said, again, doesn't take away from what A.B. is on the field. First drive with the Patriots. He goes down, catches a touchdown pass. And you could also see, though, his first... His first game with New England, he was 4-for-4 four four on Brady's initial targets to him. And then the next four, he was 0-for-4. So, um, and on a couple of those passes, he just like didn't know the routes well. So there's he's still on the learning curve for sure in the Patriots offense. But could you imagine if he, if he settles into New England and gives t- the best quarterback ever a weapon like Antonio Brown? Yeah, they, got, they have too many weapons. I'm, I'm very scared of. Of the Patriots, and I could see them winning again. Um, yep. I know we would all hate that, but it's true. They they look like they're primed to go, and honestly, no one's talking about their defense. Their defense is scary. No pretty doubt sure, about it. Pretty sure they took two interceptions for touchdowns last week. Again, against the you know the dumpster fire that is Miami. Um, but they they've been impressive nonetheless, especially against the Steelers in Week One. Um, you know, keeping them to three points that would just you know, as a Browns fan, we loved it. Uh, we we love to see the Steelers lose, um, but you know that it was still a a good game by their D. Um, and I think you know New England through the first two weeks um, has outscored their opponents seventy three um, seventy three points plus um, in, in those games. So that's that's just a crazy stat. 
It really is. Um, so first two weeks of the NFL season, everyone's just happy. I think just that the damn football season is back and we'll have meaningful games again. Um, really excited for week three has some interesting matchups though. We still have uh, some some teams that are still coming into form for sure. Really interested to see what the Saints kind of turn into with uh, Drew Brees going down with a torn ligament in his thumb. A lot of quarterback injuries, which just sucks, but um, it is part of the part of the game. Looking ahead to next week, though, we have some quarterback uh, just electrifiers on display. You got the Ravens and Chiefs coming up, so we get to see Patty Mahomes up against the running back Lamar Jackson. Um, the Seahawks and Saints game that just looks totally different. You have Bridgewater and Russell Wilson now instead of Russell Wilson and uh, Breeze. Texans and Chargers, that's a hell of a game. Um, the Chargers still though, are getting people back from injury, though, so they dropped a game last week that was pretty disappointing. Um, but just so many exciting things. We're going to see the Rams, uh, defending NFC champions, go up against the highly touted Browns in Sunday Night Football, so week three is going to be lit. All right, sticking with football here. Over the last week or so, we have seen California. Before we even get into this, I think it's important to preface this with, this is one of those situations where, for some reason, this discussion always results in people winding up just steadfast on one side or the other. You're either totally for it or totally against it. For some reason, there's just a lack of dialogue, which anytime you're talking about anything controversial... The dialogue is really the only way that there um, is any just growth in the thought process. And this topic just seems to always be a hot-button topic. And California has decided that they will um, pass the Fair Pay Act, allowing college collegiate players to make money off of their likeness. And that has sat poorly with some and sat very very well with others. I think a lot of people are hoping that this sets a precedent nationwide and that this California move um for collegiate players to make money off of the um system that is college athletics, uh, a lot of people think that's a good thing and whether you agree with it or not, it's just important to listen to informed voices, I think and respect that people are coming at this from all sorts of different perspectives and backgrounds. And one person who has created some waves after this has came out was Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow um, made some comments about um, how he looked at this act and how he looked at um, what this truly means and how this could reshape the... Um, just the overall, and he's looking at this from a former collegiate player, one of the best college football players we've ever seen, first of all. And he's looking at this more from a football standpoint, and he's looking at the way that this may might reshape college football going forward. And he's also someone that uh, comes at this from a, probably at this point, an unpopular um, opinion, um, but he still had some good things to say. So here's Tim Tebow on ESPN's first take, just to give you guys a little bit of background for those who haven't heard it. I'm talking to Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman about the way he feels about the pay-to-play act that California has now, um, the Senate has now voted in favor of. I feel like I, I have a little credibility. 
credibility and knowledge about this because when I was at the when I was at the University of Florida, I think my jersey was one of the top selling jerseys around the world. Uh, it was like Kobe, LeBron, and then I was right behind them, and I didn't make a dollar from it. But nor did I want to because I knew going into college what it, what, what it um, what it was all about. I knew going to Florida, my dream school, where I wanted to go, the passion for it, and if I could support my team, support my college, support my university, that's what it's all about. But now we're changing it from us, from we, from my university, from being an alumni where I care, which makes college football and college sports special, to then, okay, it's not about us, it's not about we, it's just about me. So I'm, you know, I listen to that, and Tim Tebow, obviously, first of all, it's real. I've seen I've seen a lot of people just really berate Tim Tebow, and really attack him, based off of this opinion. And I think the most important thing to point out is hold up with that. Tim Tebow is a, I mean, you watch this guy. He, his character should never be questioned. He is a hell of a guy, always just doing the right things, supporting the right type of people. Um, Someone whose character just really can't come into question, but that doesn't mean that he can't be wrong, and he's wrong about this. Um, I think that for him to say that the pay-to-play act makes things turns things selfish and takes away from what makes college football up special is the passion that comes with it, and the passion that comes with it is based off of where, not who. The passion that comes with college football is based off the based off of the alumni, based off of the students. And it's a different passion that that you get in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. But for him to say that getting paid off of all of the money that college sports generates, specifically, let's just, we'll just stick with football as the example. You can still want to get paid for all of the money that you're generating on the football field and still have pride and, and passion for your school. Those aren't mutually exclusive. You can look at playing college football for your school and play your heart out, leave it all out on the field, and still make money off of your likeness. And for him to say that uh, us shifting the narrative and us shifting the path that we're going down with college football takes away from what makes college football organically so special, um, which is that passion, which is that rawness that you see, uh, those things do. Those things can go hand in hand. Um, there's no reason that we can't pay these players that are generating all this money, and also expect from them that they play with all-out effort and passion, whatever you want to call it. So, um, Tim Tebow does have a good point. The fact that he uh, his jersey did was up there with um, sales all across the sports world. But Tim Tebow is also coming at this, sometimes context matters, and Tim Tebow, um, not that he grew up well off, Everyone that know, anyone that knows his story, he's a missionary man, um, didn't grow up well off, but he also didn't grow up ever wanting for anything, and there's a, a lot of college athletes that they are at their university while their parents are at home struggling to keep the lights on. They're sending all of the money home that they can come across to keep their family afloat, and some of that money does come from scholarships, student refunds, whatever it may be. But there are students who are not using, are not going to take this money and use it on, the, use it in ways that is malicious. And that's also not to say that this pay-to-play act is going to be flawless. Anytime you look at something like this, there's so much money moving around that there's going to be problems. 
but it is a good start and there's a lot this opens up a conversation if nothing else it opens up options and there's no reason why we look at this um amateurism uh setup that we have in college sports and don't consider the benefit of paying the people that are generating this money and that are at the heart and are the foundation of such a lucrative product so Tim Tebow coming at this um, from one end of things, um, I don't think fully grasping the uh, big picture of how many different collegiate collegiate athletes go into college with um, a lot of challenges, not only financially, but just personally and mentally. And allowing them to make money off of their likeness goes a long way in just making their experience at the college level all of the better. So a lot to continue. That conversation will continue to manifest into different things. But um, most importantly, respect Tim Tebow's comments. Don't respect the people that just attack his character because they disagree with him. That's just not the way to get down. I think it's important to just listen to him. He's, he is an informed voice, um, if nothing else. So although I disagree with Tim Tebow, um, I do think that there are a lot of people weighing in on this uh, with a good point. So. That's all I have to say about that. We're moving on from football, transitioning into the basketball world to wrap things up here. All right, making our segue from the football world into the NBA world. Uh, Every year, Sports Illustrated publishes their top 100 Um, projected players for the upcoming season so we have the SI top 100 for 2020 I think when you look at this list it's important to remember that um, this list is based it's it's good context to have that this this list is based off of what we saw from this past season and how players look projected going forward in 2020 and also the sample size that we'll get from these players. So there are some people that are left off of the list entirely. And then also some people that are on the middle of the list, such as Clay Thompson, who's like number 50-something. Who The only reason that Clay is there is because he is injured. And we won't see as much of him when Clay Thompson's a top 15 player, no doubt about it. Top 15 player when healthy, but um, going forward on this list, he's a 50-something uh, ranking. So I think, you know, this list is very much so based off of um, sample size, what we think we're going to get. Uh, SI does do a great job, though, of taking into consideration both sides of the ball, um, looking at a lot of different things, whether it's plus minus, um, the, you know, defensive, defensive uh, prowess, a lot of different things. So Adam, I think you're going to take it from the top looking just we'll start from with the top 10 again this is the top 100 list but starting from you know just kicking it off right at the top uh i think you're gonna run through the top 10 here so yes sir so rounding off the the top 10 here we got dame dalla um doesn't get enough recognition very great point guard one top five point guard clearly Mm -hmm. um, making the top 10 here um clutching the playoffs has done a lot of great things for his team um, he's he's definitely uh, underrated, in my opinion. And truly has hit some of the most lit game-winning or series-winning shots. Like the one against the Rockets, where he just wiped out when Dwight Howard was on the Rockets. And then that just dirty one from 40 feet against Paul George, OKC, 
um, to end that series. And and, and speaking of PG, um, he, he's coming in at number nine um, after Dame, um, which we all know, you know, going over to the Clippers sign with them. I'm personally very excited to see uh, what that team does this Sheesh. year. Um, especially defensively, I, I want to say uh, last year they were at least top 10, top 15 in the league um, as far as defense goes. Uh, you know, aside from Paul George, Kawhi, they got uh, Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell. Um, I think those are going to be um, some a, a crazy team to to watch and and keep an eye out for because uh, they're defensively. I, I don't know how anyone's going to score against them. And you and I were talking about this earlier. The Los Angeles Clippers can have three first team all defensive players. That's never happened before. Three first team all defense players. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Pat Bev can all be first team, first team all defense. That's crazy. It's gonna be crazy. Nuts. It's gonna be nuts. Um, Paul Paul George coming at nine. Um, after that, we're we're getting into some big men here with with the next three coming off the board. Um, we got is it three in a row? We got yes, sir. We got Jokic, Joel Embiid. And then Anthony Davis uh, coming in at six. So Jokic eighth, Embiid seven, AD six. Um, and again, I know I know we were you know there was some controversy um, between us earlier. You, you know you could make the argument that that Jokic is a, is a better all around player than Embiid. Um, again, nothing to take away from Embiid at all because he's you know a, an excellent player. Um, especially down low um, and on defense. But, you know, Jokic just does it all, triple-double machine. Um, clearly, you know, in my opinion, he has the edge over Embiid as far as passing goes. Um, that's probably why I would put him ahead um, of Embiid. Um, and, you know, playing for Serbia in the, in the FIBA Cup um, against the USA, mm. you, you can't say it for too many years, but Jokic was clearly the best player on the floor at that time. Um, in years past, you know, the USA always usually had the best player on the floor um but this year you know with a with a roster that wasn't necessarily um elite um you saw Jokic really uh you know step in and 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 be the best one out there and that's what's crazy because in years past the USA has always had the best player if not best handful of players in the whole tournament but this year you could make an argument and I think I don't think that's really even up for debate the top 2 players in FIBA we're not from the U.S. Giannis working with Greece and uh, the Jokic working with Serbia. Those were the two best players in FIBA. And it's been a long time since the USA has not had the two, the one, let alone the two best players in the tournament. And yeah, you're right. Um, Jokic, he made a name, he's already made a name for himself in the NBA, but um, it shouldn't go underrated how important it is to make a, a name for yourself nationally. And on these national stages, we've seen some really important players kind of make a name for themselves. Um, and so Jokic able to really become a household name in the FIBA. It's kind of kind of interesting. He's really coming into his own as a top player in the NBA. Yeah, no, definitely. And and he, you know, he's the focal point of that that Denver Denver team. So we'll we'll see where um, they go in a in a heavy heavy loaded western conference mm-hmm. um which you know after after Embiid we you know we stated AD comes in at six you know obviously going to be very exciting to see him team up with LeBron um I think you know LeBron's passing ability is gonna increase AD's value um make him 
an even better player than he already is. Um, but like you touched upon a little bit earlier, you know, some people have somewhat forgotten about Anthony Davis only because, you know, he didn't play a full season last year, you know, controversy with him being, you know, um, unpleased with the way things were going down in New Orleans and, and eventually them deciding to just sit him the rest of the season or at least, you know, limit his minutes throughout the game. Um, this man can do it all. Clearly the best big man in the league. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, and then, you know, obviously when you when you playing with one of the greatest of all time, it's obviously going to increase your value. For sure, yeah. Best big man in the NBA, no doubt about it. So now looking at the top five, let's get into that a little bit. Top five after AD, um, next to number five is, is the beard, James Harden, um, with Steph Curry um, in front of him at four. Um, again, you know, this one's a tough one. Um, not necessarily the way they're ranked. I love James Harden as an offensive player. He's obviously one of the best, if not the best, offensive player in the league. Mm-hmm. The things he can do um, yeah, in his isolation. Scoring, is, scoring ability is crazy. Is, is pretty impressive. I'll, I'll give him that. Um, but as far as you know, Sports Illustrated taking into account all of the things that go into basketball, you know, two-way players, um, plus minus, those type of things, efficiency. I, I really do think that James Harden would – you know, his lack of defense, you know, brings him down. Um, I would possibly probably put AD maybe yes. above James Harden. Yes. You know, AD's still pretty efficient when it comes to shooting. He's really developed, you know, an outside shot. Obviously, he dominates yes. down low. Uh, you know, it, of course, you know, not knocking Harden. He's a great offensive player. But that lack of defense and, and the disinterest he has in the game when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, off the ball... It's just, I, when it comes to a superstar, you can't do that. Right, and we were talking earlier, like, so so James Harden, and this is, this is so interesting because his teammate is the only one that's in this category with him. Russell Westbrook last year set the least amount of screens in the NBA. Russell Westbrook, now a, a teammate of James Harden, set the least amount of screens in the NBA. Very indicative of his off-the-ball play. You know who was second to last in the NBA in setting screens? James Harden. Yeah, I know. Like, these two do not play well off the ball. It's very stagnant. And I, I don't know how this is going to work with them together. Again, that's a discussion for a different time. But to your point, James Harden's ability, or lack of lack thereof, to play without the ball, yeah, also to me makes him not... I'm just surprised he's a top five player. The only thing that's keeping him this high is his scoring ability is uncanny. He can score with the best of them. And that alone, nothing else. There's nothing else keeping him this high on the list other than his ability to score. In iso ball, um, which doesn't work. And again, uh, it's a different conversation, but his scoring ability, his offensive prowess, that's what keeps him so high. But that's also what keeps him behind another guard in the West. Which, yes, you know, clear, clearly Curry comes in um, ahead of James Harden. No surprise there. Uh, coming in at four. Um, can't, can't say enough about Steph Curry. Um, clearly one of the best players of all time. Probably the best shooter of all time. You can make an argument for it. Obviously no Reggie Miller's up there as well. 
Um, but you know the things that Curry has done to to shape this game. I mean, he's he's basically changed the entire game. I mean, the other teams are you know fitting their defensive schemes to you know defend against these you know quick up and down pace you know shooting threes at will um, type of basketball. So it, it's you know it's been really cool to see him you know make a name for himself and and really. Uh, you know, affect the game as he has. And speaking of affecting the game, like, it's just crazy. You look at Steph, and I think one of the things that keeps him so high on some of these lists is you always hear the comparison that Steph stretches defenses the same way that Shaq shrunk defenses. So defenses just overreact to, to Steph being on the perimeter the same way that defenses overreacted to Shaq being on the post, and they shrink down... And it just changes the way that you guard a team like the Warriors. Um, And so Steph Curry has just been consistent. He's a member of the 50-40-90 club. And I I just think that statistic to me will always stand out to me, especially as a superstar at like Steph Curry, someone that shoots so much and has such a high usage rate. The fact that he is part of the 50% from the field, 40% from three-point, and 90% from the free throw line, the fact that he is a superstar, able to maintain those numbers, that's just, that is truly, truly incredible. So I'm rounding out the top three here. You can, and I think you're just going to roll through all of them all together. But, um, so we got through the top 10 for the, for the most part, but now we have three players left. Yes, sir. Top three, um, no surprise at, at these three here. Um, I think you can probably make an argument um that you know probably all three of these could be at number one you know however Mm -hmm, you want to look at it um all great players um but coming in at three king james we got two Kawhi leonard um and then of course number one we have we have Giannis. um and, and here for me at least you know obviously lebron is is clearly getting older but he really hasn't taken you know a step back at all he's still extremely impressive and and one of the the world's elite um in my opinion probably the best to ever do it at least all around game in my opinion um but you, you really at one and two i i do have to make the argument i personally would put Kawhi at number one um just thinking about what he did for for the city of toronto and, and that country um up north I mean, it was just so impressive. He's, you know, an elite defender, probably the best two-way player in the league. He also now has another top three two-way player in in the league with Paul George. Um, but, you know, Kawhi's just developed a shot. His his mid-range to three-point shot is impressive. Um, and, and honestly, I, I would put him ahead of Giannis only because... Giannis just clearly got exposed last year in the playoffs. Um, you know, I think I think people really just realized that they could could sit back and just try and keep him in front um, and make him shoot that that jumper. Um, I know he's going to be working on that in the off season. Um, if he doesn't, you know, improve with that, uh, you know, I think I think people are going to probably figure him out a little bit more. Um, not saying that it's easy to keep him in front whatsoever because it's not. Uh, but at least the comparison between the two, I think Kawhi's a better all-around player. Um, and just what he did, you know, last year in that one season coming there and, and leading that team to a championship is just beyond impressive to me. 
And it's just, um, and Adam, you know this, it, it genuinely pains me to agree with you on anything, but yeah, you reshuffling these top two players I actually can get behind because yeah, Kawhi Leonard seems like he has the more solidified game and the more, cons- you're right, his ability to evolve from, he came into the league at a San Diego State as a defender, not much of a scorer. Really, not much of a playmaker, and he has turned into he has turned into one. Um, and I think he is. I think you're right. I think at this point he is the better playmaker and overall just a better basketball player than Giannis. I think like when I look at Giannis, his ability to take number one is there because he he is he is more of a game where he you can tell he's trying to establish his ability to make others better. He passes the ball a lot. He hasn't really came into his own on that. It's like it's a polishing job now. It's like it's a matter of him like really understanding how to be a better passer, how to be a better playmaker, how to be the best version. I hate to compare players in this way, but how to be the best version of LeBron James possible. He's big, he's strong, he's fast. Now it's just a matter of just like fine-tuning his game. And I think it's funny. We were talking about Steph and his all around just like efficiency and you look at Giannis and what's funny is Giannis actually has a higher true shooting percentage than Steph Curry which like if you just told someone that I think it would get questioned Absolutely. but looking at like like the actual statistics he has a higher true shooting percentage than Steph which again that you know a lot of it is around the rim yeah um, it's so, a little convoluted so that Steph's you know shooting threes more more than likely um, but yeah, it, extremely impressive. I mean, if you would have told me that, you know, just randomly, I probably wouldn't believe you. Um, just hearing that, it, it sounds foolish. But yeah. you know, he's he's a great scorer. You know, in in the paint, and hopefully, he develops. You know, um, an outside shot because if so, he's virtually unguardable. You can't do anything. Truly unstoppable. Coming off career bests and points, rebounds, and assists. I mean. Giannis looks like he's ready to take that leap. Um, SI certainly anticipates him doing so. Um, so looking at the top 10, it seems like they really nailed it down. I think one and two, you can make an argument to be shuffled around. But looking outside of the top 10, some of the more big-name players, but not necessarily superstars, just perennial all-stars. A little controversy here. Looking at the list. Jimmy Butler comes in at number 11. He's ahead of Russell Westbrook, who comes in at number 12. Yeah, it's... I mean, I know you love the the Heat, Jimmy Butler, another two-way player. We're seeing him all over this list. Um, if, if you can do, you know, if you can play both sides of the ball, you're clearly, you know, going to be one of the one of the better players in the league. And Russell um, Westbrook, he is. I mean, he's a superstar defender, no doubt about it. But ahead of Russell Westbrook, yeah, no, that that's probably unfair. I think people can make the argument that that Russ could be in the top ten. Yes. Um, again, it's it's kind of a hard argument over you know Damian Lillard and and PG. I you know those are those are all really close right there. Um, but you know. Russ do it all player, um, clearly I would probably have to put him ahead of of Jimmy, um, but you know both both very elite players um, and clearly the best ones 
Well, you can't even say that Russ is the best one on the team anymore because, you know, James Harden's there. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, again, we're not going to get into that, but that's a, that's a whole other uh, conversation to have is how they're going to gel together. And I think a lot of this list, too, is like, who would you rather start your team with in 2020? I'll be damned if I'll take Jimmy Butler over Russell Westbrook. Yeah, like, that's, that's foolish. I would rather have Russ. That's foolish. And and, he, and even going forward uh, up, you know, towards towards the 20 marker, um, one that we both could not believe. This is just nuts. This is not right. Uh, but Rudy Gobert, Mr. Mr. Gobert coming in at 14 ahead, I did say yes, ahead <laughs> of Kyrie Irving. At 15. Kyrie Irving coming after Rudy Gobert. I mean, that's just... Come on. Rudy Gobert, who has two Defensive Player of the Year awards, can basically score if you pass him the ball where he's he's just kind of standing under the hoop and he does one of those things that Yao used to do where he just stands on his tippy toes and dunks it home without actually leaving the floor. That person is ahead of Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, who is one of... He has the best handles in the NBA. Uh, I mean, just a a scoring machine. An absolute scoring machine. One of the most dynamic guards we've ever seen is behind Rudy Gobert. Um, <laughs> like... For just like think about this. Imagine being a, a, a scout and and an or a GM and the owner comes to you and says, Okay, so we're starting a team in 2020. Do you want Rudy Gobert, who can jump high, defend well, maybe block some shots, or do you want Kyrie Irving? And you say with conviction, I want Rudy Gobert. That's who I want. I want the seven footer that all he can do is dunk and block shots. Instead of Kyrie Irving, who can pass, shoot, dribble. You should get fired. So whoever made this list and was putting Rudy Gobert ahead of Kyrie Irving, out of line. Out of line. No, I agree. That's that's foolish in my opinion. Um, but yeah, the, the, those are a couple question marks right there. Um, you can definitely make an argument for all these. Uh, but another one that you, that you really had something to... Yeah, yeah, no, no, another one that we... I think it's just totally, totally ridiculous. Draymond Green, people are going to remember this season why Draymond Green is so important, not only to the Warriors, but to the league. He's a dynamic forward who has the ability to be a triple-double machine. He can guard all five positions. He's played with Kevin Durant for the last couple of seasons. He has taken a back seat. People are going to remember this year why Draymond Green is a arguably a top 10 NBA player. I truly believe that. He's a top 10 player. Draymond Green, he can guard every position. He can dribble, pass, and shoot. And he truly has the ability to be a player that is just so dynamic. And one, he's just... You can't, you can't fill a position like his. And I think that with Klay Thompson being out... Obviously, no Kevin Durant now. He and Steph are going to get a chance to really shine, and I think Draymond is going to remind a lot of people why he is um, such a special player. Yeah, he's clearly going to have um, more opportunity now that KD's gone. 
Um, a lot of that offense does run through him anyways. Even when KD was there, you know, you saw him bring the ball down um, plenty of times and, you know, either dish it to Curry or, or wherever the ball was going. Um, but, yeah, you're definitely going to see his, his influence and his impact this season. Um, and, again, I think it's going to be interesting to see um, how this Warriors team, um, you know, performs this year because a, a lot of people have kind of written them off now that KD has headed to the Nets. Um, you know, considering them underdogs, and and to me that's that's kind of silly. Um, I know the West is is definitely pretty heavy out there. They they definitely have a lot of competition um, now that all these players are going to L.A. and you obviously have Denver, and you can never you know count out the Spurs, For sure. um, Blazers, what have you. But those three, those big three in. Golden State again. I know Clay's going to be hurt, and they're going to get him back later in the season, um, which will they'll obviously need if they want to make a playoff run. Um, but that those three is the one who went seventy three and nine. Yep. You know, yes. obviously yes. they had Iggy's help, and you know they had Sean Livingston and veterans around that team. Obviously, with a fantastic coach. Yep. Um, but before KD was even thought of, they were a championship caliber team. Um, and now, you know, they just kind of removed them. They lost a couple of their vets. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be fun how they, how they you know, perform um, this year, you know, knowing that they're technically an underdog. Yeah, they're going to look a lot different. Draymond Green is going to have a huge impact. I really, like, he is just really going to make it. I mean, he's, you would, going into the season, he was going to be going into a contract year, but the fact that they actually locked him up for five more years already shows that they... They know. They know how damn good Draymond is. He didn't have to prove anything to the Warriors organization. So, um, interesting list, I think, just rounding out the top 100 in general. Every year ESPN does this. I think just a couple of other takeaways. We saw that Luka Doncic came in at number 30. And Doncic, he's always going to be compared against Trey Young just because of their draft class and just because of the way that they came into the league and Doncic fell at 30 where Trey Young fell at like 62. So big huge, difference there. Yeah, huge discrepancy there. Um and I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I think you look at a lot of the players that were in between them. Doncic is the most complete NBA player where Trey Young is very raw in talent. Um overall, I think SI just does a hell of a job getting this right. Um so just a fun list to just get a chance to look over. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Another episode, episode seven, the Michael Vick episode of Better Than Ever. All feedback and reviews, please do not hesitate to let me know. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. But until next time, we are better than ever.